Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. So uh, just to add to the effect of all of this, I have a very disjointed sermon to share with you. So everybody excited about that? So the hope is that though we will start in a very scattered way, that eventually it'll make sense. I mean, that is always the prayer, isn't it? (laughs) Hopefully, please God. Um, So here's a question for you. My observation of you as a congregation, which is really about the only observation I have because I haven't really been the lead pastor anywhere else ever, is that this congregation is full of really good people. Yeah. In a big way. In fact, one of the most painful parts of being the pastor of this church over all these years is my inability to get to know all of you as well as I would like to get to know you. You know, when there were 50 people here, uh, I pretty much knew most everything there was to know about the people that went to church here. And that held up for a while. But over time, it's gotten to where I, I don't know everybody. And, and then I sit down with somebody at an event or we happen to be in, a, you know, and I listen and I hear the story and I, I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, this would be a stellar human being to know. This would be a stellar human being to spend time with. This, this is not your average human being. And, and I have found that to be true of so many of you over and over and over. And then not only is it a church that's full of good people, which I believe, by the way, is true up the street and down the street and over there and, uh, you know. But we're also coming together around deep truth. I mean, we really believe that the Word of God is deep truth, that, that it's untying knots. It's untying how we as individuals function. It's untying how relationships work. It's, it's untying and giving us insight into how, you know, the reality of the culture works and where we ought to be and, and what really is, stands up over time. We celebrate together deep truth. Deep truth. Good people, deep truth. So then I have this question. Because I think this is true not just of this church, but of a lot of churches around the world. Why are we so ineffective? What's keeping us from changing the world in Jesus' name? Why do we seem to stumble around so much? What is going on? And, and if we just took that down a notch, hang on, I'm going to untangle several things here. I remember today why you hate wearing a mask. You cannot have this many things around your ears. You can't have glasses and a microphone and a mask. It just doesn't work out. And so why is it that we seem to be so ineffective. I mean, we just see over and over, we, we see this list of, uh, of what's happening to the church of Jesus Christ in the world. We, we're hearing how, you know, masses of people are leaving the church. What is going on that's causing us to be? And it's not just that we have deep truth and good people. We have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and around us. And that's not just true in this broad sense, but even as individuals, a lot of us could look at our own lives and go, hey, I believe that I'm engaging with the living God and I'm, I'm seeking deep truth and, and, and I'm trying my best to be obedient and follow, but I'm still a mess. I, I still didn't get all fixed. I didn't get all fixed yet. What's happening? Where's the disconnection? 
So I want us to think about that as we think about what it means today to build community and share love. And I, I, I think, you know, the reality as we think about talking about building community, building community, preaching a series on community is like preaching a series on prayer. Nobody sends you an email and says, I don't think we should be praying so much. Nobody sends me an email and says, I don't think we need more community. We all believe we need more community, better connection. We need to belong together. We believe in all of that. And sometimes I think when we do a series like this because of that, that we don't necessarily dig down. We're like, yeah, yeah, we give a lot of intellectual assent to what's being said. Yeah, yeah, but do we do anything? Does it move us anywhere? Does it change anything about our behavior? We believe in the value of community, but do we believe in the virtue of community, of putting these things into practice? This should be the most loving place on earth. Now, I spent the last several days at the happiest place <laughs> on earth. And I don't know if you know this, but Disney World is located in a place called Florida. It is not the happiest place on earth. It is the most humid place on earth. Yeah. So, but this ought to be the most loving place on earth, amen? Is it? I mean, when you walk in the door, not just of this church, but of any church, there should be an overwhelming sense of the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, goodness and self-control. I'll be spilling out on you. Just ought to walk into a place... And it's not just a loving place, it's also an authentic place. Meaning, in here, we talk about real life. In here, we talk about real stuff. We don't shade it over, we don't gloss it over, we don't shy away from it. What Frederick Buechner calls the visible absence of God in the world, we can talk about. Because there are times in life where the visible absence of God is the glaring reality. Amen? I mean, if you've tried to be an apologist for God, and you've tried to explain what God is doing in every single situation, well, I'll tell you, it doesn't take long until you run out of answers. Until you just don't know how to explain it anymore. Where you just can't possibly put meaning to it. But we can talk about that in here. Because we're not just a loving community, we're an authentic community. Where real life happens to people. And we engage in it. And we, we can mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice because we are authentically real. We, we understand that as we look around the room, and, and in this day and culture of social media, it is so much our insides looking at other people's outsides. I don't know. I don't know what happens on your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. You know, split into your generations. Go ahead. But the fact is, it's our insides looking at other people's outsides. You know, one of the things fun about going to a place like Disney World is you're, you watch people develop their social media. It turns out it takes time. It takes time for them to get that perfect photo, that perfect selfie that they're going to post and make you think that's how their life works. It turns out it's not. Nothing, nothing more pleasurable than watching a person over in the corner going... You know, got to get it just right. 
Want everybody to know I'm having a great time at the happiest place on earth. <laughs> but we live like that. We live like that. Our insides looking at other people's eyes. We do that in church. We look around and go, oh, they got it good. Look at them. Look at those people around me. But in here, we don't care about that stuff. The facade on the outside is not the thing. In here, we erase all that stuff because we all know that we have commonality. We share this process of being human beings. And that process is a process that involves pain and difficulty and, and questions and hardship. And, and all of us have different stuff going on. And in the midst of it, we hold on to faith and we seek deep truth. And, and we celebrate and pray God's guidance and blessing. And we do it with authenticity. And we do it in loving ways. And the question is, are we? Are we? Okay. Now, hold all of that over there in the box because now we're going somewhere else that's completely disrelated, unrelated. I can't even, it's unrelated and disconnected. Are disrelated and unconnected. <laughs> A few years ago, I was in San Francisco, and, uh, you know, we were going through all the little brochures about what you should do when you're in San Francisco, and, and I came across this little thing that said, you should go to the Winding House Museum. And I said, that sounds like something that I would really enjoy. So I drugged my family. <laughs> Never until this moment had I ever questioned how the trolley cars, cable cars in San Francisco worked. Never had it entered my mind to even ask that question. But now, standing in the Winding House Museum, I was fascinated. Are you aware of how the cable cars work in San Francisco? Well, I'm going to share with you. <laughs> and you are so excited to know. <laughs> so here's the deal. Under the ground, there are three closed steel loops of cable. Understand what I'm saying? Loops. 50,000 feet of steel cable under the ground. They are all looped together into the winding house where three giant engines pull the cable at a constant 9.5 miles per hour. That cable is spinning under the ground all the time, 9.5 miles an hour. A cable car has no means of propulsion. Zero. The lights are operated by a battery. There's no engine on a trolley car. It just sits there. The skill of the driver is that he has a lever that goes under the ground and the cable slips through a, a little winch. And the skill of the driver is to take you from standstill to slowly gripping the cable until the cable car comes up to 9.5 miles an hour. Now, if you just grab the cable, it would throw you off of the trolley car. You would have whiplash. But instead, he knows how to simply slide and grip a little tighter, a little tighter, a little tighter until he comes up to speed. That's fascinating to me. That's just fascinating. And when you get to where you're going, he just lets go of the cable, and the cable car stops. That's the whole system. That's the genius. That's what goes on there. All right, hold that thought. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 is telling us this. You people in the church are spending all of your time decorating your trolley car. You're spending no time getting a hold of the source of power. You are arguing about who has the best-looking trolley car. You are arguing about who has the nicest curtains, about which one is the most desirable. You're arguing about who has the finest gift. You're arguing about the look of the trolley car. Meanwhile, no one is getting moved anywhere. 
sitting inside beautiful trolley cars going absolutely nowhere. I'm not saying this. This is what Paul is saying. Not specifically about trolley cars. That's an illustration. So much so that in 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about all the ways you might be gifted. We've been talking about it over the last few weeks. So he comes to the end of chapter 12 and he says, Greatly desire the greater gifts. And now, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's saying that the power of the church to move people, the power of Christians to move people is not in our giftedness. It's not in how we may be equipped to do this. It's in connecting to the power of love. It's connecting into this thing that actually moves human beings from one place to another. It changes us on the inside and it changes the people with whom we share relationships. It is the source of power. None of us on our own have any sense of propulsion. There's no engine in us that can drive real human change. Amen? We know this because we try it on ourselves. What does Paul say? (laughs) Romans 7, I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do, but that which I do not want to do, that's what I end up doing. And if I do not do what I want to do, but I do what I do not want to do, what a wretched man I am. Thanks be to God who gives us the gift in Christ Jesus. So then, then what becomes of this story is that this story is the greatest love story ever told. Is that how we relate to the gospel? We just sang about it. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my greatest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride that we stop and we reflect on a God who so loved the world that he sent his only son I I think you know this about me but I I like history I I really thrive on it I like the stories of history I like to get into the details of history and so when Hollywood produces a blockbuster movie that's historical I get excited because I I like to visualize and see what's going on but I have a, a pet peeve. I have a, you know, something that really annoys me, and I want to share it with you because this is the perfect forum. <laughs> and that is, Hollywood cannot produce a historical piece without adding a love story. Doesn't that annoy you? So let me just throw out an example. Titanic. I mean, I was anxious to see this movie, and it's, it's, it's dated, certainly, but I'm thinking, you know, I've read about this story. I... I you know, in my lifetime, obviously, the wreck of the Titanic has been discovered. In my office, on my shelf, I have a piece of coal from the Titanic that I bought. It's on my shelf. So I'm thinking, they're gonna vi- I'm going to have a visual. They've studied all of the evidence, and, and they're going to produce a movie, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to get to watch it. And you know what they did? They turned it into a love story. It's about a ship that hits an iceberg and sinks. It's not a love story. You ask people what they take away from Titanic, you know what they say? (laughs) 
That ain't right. They were not doing that. That was not what was going on. And I don't know what it is over there in Hollywood, but they cannot tell a story without making it a love story. And over here at the church, we have the greatest love story ever, and we can't seem to make it a love story. We make it everything else except what it is. A God who's madly in love with his creation so that he sent his only son so that no one should perish, but everyone should have. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. How did we mess this up? A new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you so also ought to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. So that God sent his son into the world to experience what we experience. Not just that he would walk in this place, but that he would understand the duality of what it means to be a human being. Amen? Because we understand the duality of being human beings, don't we? We're all a mix of good and not so good. You have to say that that way now because it's politically correct. You can't say good and bad. That would be not okay. Because we don't want to be reminded of the fact that we're good and not so good. But we know it. We look in the mirror and see it. We pray about it. We ask God to help us out of our duality. And so God, loving us the way he loves us, he sent his only son. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, but we have one who was tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet was without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly before the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy in our time of need. That is a love story. Why did God send his son into the world? So that we would have a high priest who was tempted in every way as we are tempted, so that when we come before the throne of now grace, everybody with us? Because we might have at some point had some legalistic idea about God and how he works and all of that stuff. But now, because he so loved the world that he sent his son to live in the duality with us so that we have a high priest who's tempted in every way, who gets us, so that he comes and still loves us. He still loves us. He still loves us. And I would venture to guess that today, whether you're online, whether you're in this room, that there are those of us that still struggle with how much God loves us. We still don't feel all that lovable to God. We still feel some sense of shame or loss at our own choices, at our own, you know, we just look at our own life and go, well, I know God must love other people better because <laughs> I'm a mess. Part of the reason we have a hard time connecting to the power of God is because we haven't felt the love of God lavished on us, on us, on you, your story, your life. The scripture says he doesn't love us on our best day. <laughs> While we were yet sinners, on our worst day, he chose to reach into our lives. He pursues us. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. It's running after me. It's running after me. Is that the first thing you think of when you think of God? When you get up on Monday morning, when life's kind of falling apart, when you didn't handle it well, when you didn't say what you wanted to say, when you didn't do what you wanted to do and you didn't choose well, is that what you think? His goodness is running after me. His goodness is running after me. I don't know about you. I live in a merit-based world, and I have a merit-based brain, and I make this a merit-based gospel. I did well this week. God loves me a lot. 
I didn't do as well this week. I think God still likes me, but I don't really want to look him in the face. Amen? Well, there's some things I need to pray about, but I'm going to try to get another day of goodness under my belt before I ask. Because I just think God will be more inclined to hear me if I've had a better day than a worse day. Just me? Part of the reason we have a hard time relating the love story. So you know what's easier? Work on the trolley. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repaint the trolley. I took a class. I'm signing up. I'm getting some training. I'm going to retrofit the whole trolley. I'm going to have the best-looking trolley in town. And some of us have some good-looking trolleys, don't we? We're equipped. We're educated, trained, been through the courses. We, cert- we got certified. And there are those beautiful trolleys sit, unable to move a single human being anywhere. Because we're spending too much time getting the trolleys ready and not nearly enough time grabbing hold of the source that can actually move and change human beings. Love. Love. Oh, well, love is so complicated. Is it? Is it? So then Paul writes these words for us, and I want to take some time here. This must just thrill your hearts to see me all done. That's all done. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others or in a more colloquial translation, it is not rude. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul now, in this description, just getting the flow, the Corinthians are struggling, and this is what they're struggling with. They, they have divided up the gifts of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit are gifts God has given, talents and abilities that He's given to build up the body of Christ, to be 
useful in acts of service. If we stopped right there and we just said, what Paul is saying to the church at Corinth is, God has equipped you to do something good in the life of the community of faith, whether that's inside the walls of the church or outside, are we? Are we serving in that way? Are we using those gifts and abilities? And Paul says, so you've been given gifts and abilities, and now you've gotten your focus moved off, and you, you've started to desire some of the gifts more than the other gifts. You've, you've actually created a hierarchy of which gifts are more fun to have than other gifts, and you celebrate those while you disparage others. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. Turns out that what they all wanted, they all wanted the ecstatic gifts. They all wanted to have an individual experience of a gift of the Spirit. They all wanted to speak in tongues. That's what was going on at the church in Corinth. They all wanted this moment to have this personal connection and have this ecstatic moment. And Paul says, do you think that's more important than the person who has the gift of hospitality? Do you think it's more important than the person that has the gift of organization? Do you think it's more important than the person that has the the gift of empathy? Do you think it's more important than the other gifts? You're just dressing up your trolley. So let me explain it to you in terms you can understand. Greatly desire the greater gift. Now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak with the tongue of men and of angels but have not, Love, I'm just a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Love, love. Four quick points. Number one, it's more than words. I don't know about you, but I feel like if I can get enough words in, that I can fix everything. Anybody else? Just give me a little time, and I can explain everything. I can even explain why you should feel loved. That's a hard conversation, isn't it? No. No, you should feel loved. We think that. Like it's super complicated. Love. It's more than words. But we throw words at it. Man, we throw a lot of words at it. We throw a lot of words at why we love the way we love or why we don't love the way we don't love or why we're holding back or why it's conditional or don't we? Oh, come on. I got a cold and I'm heavily medicated. I need a little help. When it comes to the messiness of life, and you don't have to be, we don't have to be way up here in the ozone. Let's get down here at practical levels. There are people in your story right now, probably in the context of your own family, and there's reasons that you do or don't do the emotional connection. And you have words to explain why you do or don't do what it is that you do or don't do. Because that's how we are. That's how we're all made. And Paul just says, listen, if all of your words are golden and they just trickle down and everyone just hears wonderful, you know, everybody's just blessed. And when you talk, it's like, you know, the wind chimes go off. and whoa. But if underneath it there's not real love, you're just making noise. Why is the church full of good people and deep truth and the power of God so ineffective? Because we are dressed up trolleys with no connection to the power to move human beings. 
because love is what moves human beings. God knew it. He so loved the world that he sent his son. And then he said, as I have loved you, you ought to love one another. And we don't love like people who have no law. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God convicts people and forms them into his image. We do not convict people and form them into our image. We love. We love. We love. And people know. They know. They know if you're being loving or not. They know if you're judging or not. Amen? Amen. I mean, we know. We just don't think other people know. I mean, we feel the tension, but we just don't think other people feel the tension. We can have our attitude inside. We can have our motives in here. We can have our personal judgments in here. And we think people don't know, but they do know. They do feel it. And this ought to be the most loving, authentic place on earth where we are genuinely free to love each other because the power of the Holy Spirit forms us into one body. The power of the Holy Spirit forms us into one body. It's more than words. It's more than specialized understanding. I love this one. I, 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 listen to what he says. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, that's pretty big. <laughs> if I have the gift of prophecy, prophecy's hot right now. I just got a flyer the other day. Come to the conference of prophecy. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and all knowledge, because we think if we know enough that we can figure it out. Amen? Amen? Why am I struggling in this relationship? Well, I need to read one more book. I need to have just a little bit more knowledge. I need to untie the knot. I need to, I'm going I'm to analyze it a little bit more. And once I get it all analyzed, then I'll know and understand how to love somebody. And I'm not saying that it doesn't require work and analysis and it doesn't require some process of taking things apart. But I think, don't you think that somewhere we've gotten preoccupied in the analysis and the knowledge that we're seeking, this esoteric kind of understanding that finally we'll be able to love somebody once we make a declaration? I got an anonymous letter the other day. And basically it said, if your church refuses to talk about these 10 issues, you're not being a Christian church. And yet if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and have all knowledge but have not love, I gain nothing. And don't you think that's exactly what Paul's talking about? Because what do you do when you fix all that? You have a good-looking trolley. Pristine. Fully restored. With no ability to move human beings from one place to another. We love. And again, I don't know about you, it's so easy to love the masses of people, but it's harder to love individual people. Amen? Did I mention I was at Disney World? <laughs> it's the happiest place on earth. I don't know if you know this, but you put a mass of people into a huge complex that has four, count them, four amusement parks. People are annoying. <laughs> I mean, day one at Disney World, you're like, okay. Okay. Day five, I'm sweeping a leg, man. I, <laughs> I, I want to physically hurt someone. I, you know, that's why we have laws. We have laws to control people at Disney World. That's, 
Because somehow we think, you know, well, I love this talk Pastor Dave gave on love. Because, I, you know, I love everyone. <laughs> Come on! It's the individual people that are hard to love, isn't it? People with names and stories. And that's what it's all about. People have names and stories and brokenness and complications. And children that, that, that went off in ways we didn't think about. And culture that did things we didn't understand. And politics that got divisive. And what's our response to all of that? We love. We stay connected to the power. We stay in this place where we admit that we don't have all knowledge and now, as if, you know, he doesn't know, he does a great digression for now we know in part, and now we, one day we'll fully know, and now see through a glass darkly, and blah, 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 we're all like, what's he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. Don't get so full of yourself. You don't know. You don't know. You just think you know. One day you will know even as you're fully known. One day you'll see, but right now you don't. So error on the side of being loving and kind and, and, and reach out. And people know the difference. And count on the Holy Spirit to lead people into this ever-embracing body of Christ in which we slowly come to reflect the very image of Christ himself. Amen? Amen. We pray that. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. Change us. Wow. It's more than faith. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery, you guys are wondering if we're ever getting out of here. (laughs) There's just six more points. That's not true. I have faith that can move mountains. Don't we over-spiritualize sometimes? If you have all of this faith, but you don't have love, it's almost like how can you even have these two things? But people do, don't they? Immense faith in God, not great human relationships. You know, there's IQ and there's EQ. Maybe there's something called SQ. Some people have very high spiritual quotient. They're very connected to God but their EQ is really lacking. Let me speak for God while I step on your head. Amen? And there's not enough spirituality in the world to overcome a lack of genuine love. We love. We love. Finally, number four, it's more than acts of compassion or sacrifice. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain Nothing. Sometimes we think we can sacrifice in relationships and somehow that takes the place of genuine love. Why do we have so many good people in the church? We celebrate around deep truth. We have the very presence of the Holy Spirit amongst us. Why are we so ineffective? It seems to me that maybe it's because we're spending so much time decorating the trolley And not nearly enough time connecting to the real source of power that can actually move human beings. Love. And some of you sitting here, you need to know this. God loves you. Unconditionally, lavishly loves you. In all of your mess, in all of your brokenness, in all of your confusion, in all of your imperfection, God loves you perfectly. Always, always, every day, all the time, on your good days, on your bad days. He pours out, he responds to you every day as his child. I'll just close with this little illustration. I just spent seven full days with my grandchildren. 
In fact, this cold is a gift from my grandchildren to me. They brought it with them on the trip, and I took it home. And I make this joke in our family, but it's true. I have an agreement with my grandchildren, and this is it. They ask for stuff, and I give it to them. My kids are like, Dad, you know, you can't, you can't, yeah, I can. But there's so much sugar, I don't care. But they need to be disciplined, that's your job. I did my stick, I'm out of that now. But you can't, you can't do, you're not the boss of me. I just don't care. I just don't care. These are perfect, wonderful human beings. These are my grandchildren. Each one of them is perfect. If they want something, they should have it. They should relate that when they're with me, it's going to be good. That's my only task in life. That's, not, that's my only role to play in their life. And so when I think about unconditional love, I mean, they have it. Like, there's not that many people in the world that I would go to the links that I would go to that I go to for them. I, you know, I just went to Disney World for seven days. <laughs> we come dragging back to the hotel at night, you know. <laughs> Papa, you want to go to the playground? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. How could that not be fun? Don't you think God sees you much more like that? Don't you think he looks at you and says, I love you like that. Now I am going to help you get on the right path, and that's part of love. <laughs> but I love you extravagantly. I so loved you that I sent my son. You do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with you, but one that was tempted in every way. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy in our time of need. We ought to love like that. God, would you help us? As we close this service and we sing those words again, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. There are people in this room that need to sense that sort of extravagant love. And they need to experience it so that they might go out and visit it upon people in their own story, in their own life, in their own home, in their own family. Maybe we're frozen with words and we're dressing up the trolley, but there's a serious lack of an emotional kind of love. Maybe we're still waiting on that esoteric piece of knowledge that unlocks the mystery of how this person can think like that or act like that or be like that. And once we understand, then we're going to love. But would you remind us that it's not about that kind of knowledge? It's not even about some deep kind of spirituality because we can have all kinds of faith and still not be loving. So would you pour out your love on this congregation, on those listening? whether they're online or will be later this week, whatever it is, would you pour out your grace, your love, remind them that you're coming after us. 
And would you in turn allow us to be ambassadors of love? We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together. Amen. Will you stand? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.